0: We're looking at James this morning. I was looking at, through my Bible to find this little poem. It just came to my mind. <clears throat> though the cover is worn and the pages are torn, and though places bear traces of tears, yet more precious than gold is, is this book worn and old that can shatter and scatter my fears. Uh, we're in a dilemma in our country. We have a big election coming up. No matter how it turns out, You just keep trusting the Lord. And uh, God has a plan. And we don't know His ways and His plan. We just trust Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. We don't always understand. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct our paths. So we trust God uh, this week, but we continue to pray. We're looking at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I heard about uh, bulletin bloopers, I read you some of those sometimes, I thought this one was cute. Due to the pastor's illness, Sunday night's healing service will be canceled. (laughs) I read about a boy, his parents had transitioned from the outhouse to modern plumbing. And their outhouse was on the edge of a river. And the dad was saying, we don't really need the outhouse anymore. We'll eventually get rid of it. Well, the river had risen. And so his son and some friends said, let's push the outhouse into the river. And they ran up and bam, and they sent it flying into the river. And that night at the dinner table, he could tell his dad was irritated. And he said, what's wrong, Dad? He said, I don't like what you and your friends did today. He said, well, Dad, George Washington cut down a cherry tree when he was a boy. He said, yeah, but his dad wasn't in the tree. So so. that must have been quite a splash. Well, we're looking at James chapter 1. We're going to take a look in the book for a walk in the world. James chapter 1. We're not going to read it. It's a very long text. Um, So we'll uh, just pray and begin explaining verse by verse this passage. God, we need you every hour. We need you this hour to speak to our hearts. Our country needs you these next few days as people make a decision. And Lord, no matter what happens, we trust that your sovereign plan will unfold. And we know the Bible teaches clearly the world's going to get worse and worse. People are going to just eventually turn from God. The Antichrist will come, the tribulation will come, and all those things are going to take place. We're thankful to live in a country where we can still worship freely and we trust God, your sovereign hand this week. And God, in our own lives, we trust you as well. It's easy to say we trust you for our country, but sometimes we don't obey you when it comes to living for you in this life. Help us, Lord, to be doers of your word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know it's your custom to stand and read, so let's go ahead and read one verse. Uh, I know I said I wasn't going to. Just this one verse, because this is really the theme of what we're preaching today. I'm an old-fashioned Bible expositor. I go verse by verse through passages, you know that. But this one verse is the heart of our text, verse 22 of James 1. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Thank you. You may be seated. James is the half-brother of our Lord Jesus. He died as a martyr in 62 AD. Many have said James is sort of a commentary on the book of Job. Remember, James is the, 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 the first New Testament book written, and Job, perhaps, is the first Old Testament book written. And James gives us commentary on how to deal with persecution and trouble, as Job experienced. This is not James, the disciple, John's brother, who was a fisherman and so forth, an author. I mean, fisherman, excuse me, and follower of Jesus. This is the author, James, the half-brother of our Lord, not the same. And so we find later he becomes the pastor of the Jerusalem church. We know that he deals with justification by sight. And you say, well, Romans says we're justified totally by faith. yes. That's from God's perspective. God sees the blood, and we're justified. But how do people view Christians? Show me your faith by your works. And we don't need works for salvation, but we certainly need to live for God. So here's James writing, and we, it's, he talks about patience and trials in verse 12. And then he talks about the potential of temptation in verses 13 and 15, then in verse 16, he'll talk about how we, need to have, uh, how we need to have prepare for the test. Verse 16, do not err, my beloved brethren, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, of whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So we look at, first of all, the light of the world. I think about light. It's a fascinating thing. Light travels 186,000 miles per second. In other words, it can go around the earth seven times in one second. It's different than air and water in that air and water will pass through a substance and pick up its impurities, and water and air become polluted. But light never does that. It'll shine through your window pane. It'll expose the dirt in the glass, expose the dirt on the table, and you may even see the particles of dust floating through the air. But yet it remains pure. And Scripture talks about God being the Father of lights, Jesus, when he was walking near the lighting ceremony, which today is called Hanukkah, he said, I am the light of the world. And we know he was the true light. And the Greek word is that word phos. We get our word phosphorus from that. Our word photography comes from that. So it's a really great word. And it's a reference to that true light that doesn't need anything. It just stands solid like our sun and like the son of God. The Lord Jesus. We know there are other Greek words for light as well in your Bible. Where the English word light is found many times, sometimes it's a different word. It's a word that references reflected light. You know, Job wrote that the moon was not a light, that it was a reflector. the, The moon was not luminous, meaning a lot of people in our country and scientists for years thought the moon was a great big light. And then eventually they discovered that it was just a reflector of the sun's light. Did you know that? Job didn't know when he wrote. He wrote under the inspiration of God. He wasn't that smart, but he wrote what God told him to write, probably not even understanding. It's like when John wrote Revelation, he didn't understand. But he wrote that. That's another Greek word, reflected light. There's a third Greek word, which refer, is, refer, excuse me, is referring to light that is generated from another source candle wax, electricity, batteries, oil. So there are several words. But here, this word here, the father of lights, is the Greek word phos, which is referring to that light that never needs kindling and is never quenched. It's like our sun. Isn't it fascinating just to think about the sun? Not part of my message, but it's just out there suspended in space doing what it's supposed to do. And it never changes. Notice it says, there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There's no eclipse with the Lord Jesus, who's like the Son. And there's no variableness. It never changes. Our Son never changes. And guess what? The Bible said God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. The Lord Jesus never changes. He's perfect. He'll always be perfect. He's the all-knowing Son of God. And so here it says that every good gift... In every perfect gift. There's a perfect work in verse 4. There's a perfect law in verse 25. Here we have a perfect gift. And that gift comes down from above. John 2.13 tells us Jesus came from above. Everything good in our world comes from God. Did you know that? Did you know this, this building is, is from God? A- a- your income is from God. The house you live in is because God gave to you and trusted you. Uh, He trusts you with all your resources. Your health is because of God. And the world doesn't realize it, but they owe God a debt of gratitude. Everybody in the world benefits from the graciousness of God. And it's interesting because the goodness of God leads people to repentance. We always want the wrath of God, and right now it seems like God's a little bit angry with our country or with the world. This virus, worldwide virus, first one in a hundred years, and we're kind of a spoiled generation. We whine and complain because we can't go to our ball games and we can't do the things we love to do. And I understand that. I miss those things as well. Yesterday, I wouldn't have cared. If my team lost again, but you know, uh, those are not important things. Thank God, we're still able to go to church. We're still alive. We can still read our Bible. So it's not so bad that we can't do the important things. But we're kind of a spoiled country right now. But think of the importance of the sun and other stars, other lights in the universe. Uh, think of the sextant. That's a, a piece of equipment on a ship. Had a dear friend, Jerry Petroni, was one of my uh, church leaders in our church. They call him an elder. And he, it was, it was, uh, he worked for the Panama Canal Commission, and he was a pilot. He would take the ships through the canal. And the Russians never wanted to turn the ship over to him because it was against their creed. And they'd get really mad, but he had to guide the ships through. And he was telling me about the sextant. It's a piece of equipment on a ship. If they're, if they're computerized gauges or everything breaks, you know, they still have this piece of equipment they can put on the deck or the bow of the ship. And it can find the planets and guide them because of the lights in space. Isn't that something? So they can know where they're going and how to get there. And then there's a bird as well I was reading about this week, the magnolia warbler. The bird flies by the stars. Cornell University didn't understand how these birds knew how to find their way way down to Central America, the Panama Canal, by the way, uh, from North America. And they discovered it was because they followed the lights, the stars, the guiding lights of, of space. And they they had a planetarium and they had a clear dome on it. They could open it up and then they could observe these little birds fly south and fly north during the times of the year when they needed to move. And they had ink pads on the bottom so they could see their feet would all point in the direction as they took off. And then they confused them. They closed the dome and put up their own constellations of stars or whatever to to, to test the birds, and they would confuse them, switching them back and forth, and watching the birds trying to figure out which direction to go. And that's how they learned that these birds uh, get their guidance from the stars, from the lights. And, of course, we know here it says that every good and perfect thing comes from the Father of lights. Our guidance comes from him. And I talk here about the light of the word. And in verse 18, of his own will beget he us with the word. Did you know you're a believer because you've trusted in his word? Now, the little word, word, is also interesting because there's several words translated W-O-R-D in your Bible. But in this passage, four times... The word, word, is the word logos, logos. Now, when I share Greek words, I always try to share words you're familiar with, because one-third of our English language came from Greek. You know that, right? And so you usually can identify. I said phos and phosphorus and photo, and you, that clicks. This word, we don't have a common denominator like that, but why do I share it with you? Because it's a very rich word. It refers to the Lord Jesus John 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning was the, that's the word, Lagos. And the word was with God, and the word was? John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's this word. And it's found four times here, 18, 21, 22, and 23. So this is rich. This is rich because you're begotten by the word. In other words, when you put your faith and trust in the word of God, you can rest assured that everything's going to be all right. You know, it says, These things have been written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We can rest in those scriptures. We can rest in John 3.16. And God's word is forever settled in heaven. So when God says something, he means it, and we can depend on it. And here it says we're begotten or begat by the word of truth. The word of truth, we have the wrath of man, in verse 20, but here's the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James must have been a gardener, someone said, because he's always using these agricultural words. We'll see them again in the text. But here we find, verse 19, the word wherefore? wherefore. Uh, Since we're born from above, we just learned that in the previous verse from the Father of light, since that's happened, He tells us, let us be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Did you know what leads to wrath is words that are unseemly, unkind. You know, if you want to have a fight at home with your wife, you just say something amiss or unkind, and what's going to happen? It could lead to wrath. Years ago, they had the Honeymooners show. You remember that? They only had it for one season. He said he ran out of material, but it was hilarious when Jackie'd say, I have a big mouth, because he'd get Alice all upset, and boy, the wrath would ensue, and I mean, it was a great comedy show. And we know that our words can often lead to anger and action. But notice here, be swift to hear, slow to speak. I'm one of the world's worst listeners. I open my mouth, I don't listen well, Someone once said, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. It's nothing like a good listener. My mother, when she went to be with the Lord, I was telling my cousin, we were talking on the phone, my cousin Mindy. And she's about my age. She was the one I had to spend all the holidays with because all the you know, cousins pair up and I got the girl. You know, and She's a wonderful person, loves the Lord. And her mom and my mom were only 10 or 11 months apart and they're just alike. And and Mindy said, no, Dan, your mom was the best listener of any person I've ever known. And I said, you're right. My mom would listen, and she would ask questions. And all my siblings and all my nephews and nieces would all tell you, my mom was a good listener, and she wanted to know all about your life. She wouldn't talk about herself much, but she knew everything about you. Whenever my mom would come down here... South to see me. She'd say, how is so-and-so and and -and so-and-so? I met them 20 years ago at your church or 30 years ago. She's even asked a few years ago when she went to the Lord about people I went to church with 40 years ago. How are they? I said, Mom, I've lost touch with some of these people. But she remembered them. She listened. She learned about them. And all of us would do well to be better listeners. All right, That's the practical application here. Be slow to speak. Listen, listen, listen. Verse 25, we'll see it says, look. But here it says, listen, listen. I, I wrote down something here that's uh, not part of my message. I don't do a lot of topical stuff, but I thought about the ways we could use our mouths wisely. Not to gossip or to slander. You know, gossip, you can, you can gossip by spreading truth. Still gossip, you know. I mean, you still talk about a mistake someone made, even though they made the mistake and what you're saying is true. It's still wrong to spread it, Right? But we use our mouths so many things for so many things, you know, to brag on ourselves, to, to to be critical of others. But I wrote down some things we could we could do. One of the big problems in the home, in the church, at workplace is communication. We just don't communicate well. Most of the time when you have a church problem, if you actually sit down and you listen to both parties share their feelings and their perspective on what happened and what's wrong, you'll be shocked. And how they themselves don't even know what's going on with the other person. Uh, They have only thought about their perspective. And you got this breakdown in communication. If we would use our mouths to clarify. To clarify. Use your mouth to, to testify. Use your mouth to glorify God. Use your mouth to edify one another. Use your mouth to unify people who have broken relationships. Did you know Corinthians tells us that we are all are supposed to reconcile? We all have a ministry of reconciliation. Do you know what that means? That means it's our calling, our ministry to reconcile people to God. That's witnessing. And to reconcile people to one another. We're not called to divide. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, and one is he that causes discord among the brethren. We're not called to sow discord. If I like Jim and Jim doesn't like Bryce, and I go to Jim and say, he's a no good rat. Even if I'm telling the truth. (laughs) And then I say to Bryce, he's a jerk. I'm a problem. I'm a divider and a troublemaker. I should go to Bryce and say, Jim really thinks a lot of you, Bryce. I want you to know that. And go to him and say, he thinks a lot of you. Bring them together. That's our calling. That's our ministry. If we would listen before we spoke, we would be able to edify and to unify, wouldn't we? Well, verse 20, wrath is anger in action. We need to get rid of the weeds in our our garden, don't we? For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. I know a lot of people that have problems with their temper. Sometimes they'll excuse their temper by saying, Be angry and sin not. I wasn't sinning. I was just mad. Oh, that's really impressive spiritually to hear you talk in that tone. And they'd say, Jesus, you know, he, 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 he got angry and he didn't sin. And I'm not sinning by being angry. And I want to say to them that political line, you know, I know Jesus, he's a friend of mine, and you're not Jesus. Uh, You know, but the fact of the matter is, most of the time, our anger is not justified. Because wrath is anger in action. And when people can see on your face and by the tone of your voice that you're angry, you're sinning. Because anger, along with self-control, keeps the tone down. Right? Right? The, the, the rhetoric is toned down. If you're angry, you don't have to yell. That's proof that you are sinning. And so we, we're, we're far from Jesus in that matter. But the, here the wrath of God, the wrath of man is not the righteousness of God. Look at these, verse 21, wherefore lay apart all filthiness. That's not just talking about ceremonial cleansing. That's what they had in the Old Testament. They had to wash certain ways ceremonially. No, this is talking about moral filthiness. So here we have to lay aside all this moral filthiness. And here's two words that today we don't use much in our society. Superfluity of naughtiness. Superfluity of naughtiness. In Ephesians 3.20 the Bible says, "...now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That word abundantly is the same Greek word translated here superfluity. And the word naughtiness today is not used like it was 400 years ago when this Bible was translated. The word naughtiness today is a pretty small word. We say to our kid, don't be naughty. And Santa knows if you're naughty or nice. If you break the crayons you're a naughty boy. No, the actual word is translated. Look over here in Acts chapter 8 and verse 22. Acts 8.22, and you need to understand this is a serious word. Acts 8.22, it says here, Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness. Wickedness. So when you read James, you think, well, this naughtiness, I mean, (laughs) you know, that's a pretty minor infraction. No, the word's actually a very serious word that's translated wickedness in Acts 8.22. Now I'm back in James. We find here we're going to lay apart the abundance of wickedness and receive with meekness, we know that word, we've studied that enough, the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. There again, the word that saves your souls. Someone outlined this years ago, the gift of the word, the grafting of the word, and the glass of the word. And we'll talk about the glass in a few moments, but that's not my outline today. But here, uh, the, the, this, this The Bible says here that we are to get rid of all the sins that that hinder us and receive the word which is able to save our souls. Did you know no one has ever trusted Jesus? No one's ever been saved, born again, whatever terminology you want to use, unless they have first repented. You cannot come to the Lord unless you recognize you're a sinner and repent. That's why it's hard for pride people proud people, excuse me, to be saved. They don't want to admit they're wrong. We talked about narcissism a while back, how that's hypocrisy, another form of hypocrisy, and so many people are narcissistic today. They just don't want to admit they're wrong. And if you don't admit you're wrong, you can't be saved. And then as a Christian, if you don't admit you're wrong, you're not going to have the blessings of God on your life. I mean, learn to say you're sorry. I hate to say it, ladies, but there's a poll out that (laughs) says, In a fight between husbands and wives, 80% of the time the husband's the one that says he's sorry. Only 20% of the time the ladies say they're sorry. I told a lady that one time, she said, That's right, because we're only wrong 20% of the time. So, you know, a lot of ways to look at that. But both of you should say you're sorry and teach your kids the importance of those words. Teach your child to go to their friend and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, we have to teach our children that. And we teach best by what? Example. Example. I had someone come to me years ago, and I I said to her, I love love her, and she's just a blessing. And she's talking about her marriage and her children. And I said, the best thing you can offer your kids is a good marriage. And that is a challenge, isn't it? Marriage is the hardest thing you do. You just got to keep working at it and trusting God. But both partners have to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong." And so we look back at our text. So we, we receive the word which is able to save ourselves. Then our key verse, but be doers of the word. There's that word, word again, logos. And not hearers only deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who beholds, is beholding his natural face in a glass. Turn with me, if you will, to Exodus 38. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 38. And while you're turning there, just mention a couple of things while you're turning to Exodus chapter 38 and verse 8. A couple of things from the book of James. You know, talked about the engrafting, the agricultural words here, all these important words. The fact of the matter is, you know, if, if, if we really want to be productive, we have to get rid of the sins in our life. You will never be productive for God unless you get rid of the sins. And God wants a garden that produces fruit. And your garden's not producing fruit if you have unconfessed sin in your life. uh, Unproductive trees were considered dead back then. Do you know if a tree weren't producing anything, what did Jesus do with a fig tree that didn't produce? Did away with it. Gone. And so we need to realize that God wants to utilize us We're dead in our trespasses and sins before we're saved. Sometimes, unfortunately, Christians get saved and they still act like a dead tree. They don't produce fruit. And that causes everyone to wonder because the Bible says, by your fruits you shall know them. I know so many people that say they're Christians and I doubt their salvation, but I can't judge them. I have to say, God, they don't seem to be a Christian. I don't see any fruit in their life. Help them, Lord, to come back to you or to be saved. I don't know. But we need to be productive. But here we talk about be doers of the word, not hearers only. In the Old Testament, I'm going to be in Exodus in a moment. In the Old Testament, the word Shema, which is on my magazine, meant hear, listen, or obey. Whenever the Bible says hear or listen, it means to obey. God doesn't say listen up and then allow you to not obey. So be doers of the word and not hearers only. If you are, you're like a man looking in a glass, and as soon as you walk away from the glass, you forget what you look like. I look in the mirror, I see I'm ugly, I walk away, I think I'm pretty good looking. <laughs> if I look there very long, I see more and more wrong. The other day, I was uh, serious, I, I watched the videos so I can critique myself, but I, the other day I mentioned that Corinth, uh, was in Asia Minor. And I thought, corn's in Greece? What did I say that for? But I'm watching the video and I saw, I really have a big head. I don't like it. So I look away and I listen. And then I can pick myself apart in my preaching, you know. But look at, look at Exodus chapter 38, this, this looking glass here. In 38, verse 8, just something for your your devotions later. And he made the laver of brass, and the foot of it brass, of the looking glass of the woman assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they actually had a glass, you know, and, and they, they, they made the bottom of this layer of brass so shiny you could see yourself when you were washing. And they got, you know, the idea, well, let's make it as shiny as the brass that women use to look at themselves. It might benefit men to look at themselves once in a while. But the teaching here is not physically, but spiritually to look into the glass of the word. It's like when you were washed in that labor, you could see yourself. We're supposed to look in the glass of the word. Now look here in verse 24. He beholdeth himself and goeth away and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. So this is a careful and a continual look. You don't have a devotional life that lasts two minutes. Spend some time with God. If it's just one verse, spend 20 minutes in that one verse. Each word, study it. Learn what that's saying and what it's saying to you. Spend time with God in Bible study. Now notice here the law of liberty. You know, the Word of God forbids some things and frees us to do others. I mentioned a while back that there's 613 commands in the Old Testament. And 365 of them we said are, thou shalt not. But the other 248 are what? Thou shalt. I like James 4.4. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. A lot of times we think, well, I'm not doing the bad things. I'm not violating the nine commandments even though the New Testament teaches us that we've broken them all. If you've hated somebody, you've committed murder in your heart. If you looked on a woman to lust, you've committed adultery. So the problems of the heart, the sins of the heart, the issues are of the heart, right? The psalmist said. But we think, well, I'm not doing that bad thing and that, but what are you doing for God? What good things are you doing? What good things are you doing? He that knoweth to do good and doesn't do it. If you're not witnessing, if you're not giving, if you're not encouraging, if you're not helping, you're sinning by not doing the things we're supposed to do. And so here he tells us to take a careful and continual look. Now there's a law of sin and death in Romans 8.2. Here's a law of liberty. God frees us to do everything but sin. There was an imperfect law in Hebrews seven nineteen. Here, a perfect law. We're not yoked with the law anymore. Those were nailed to the cross, those old rules and regulations. We're yoked with Jesus, and that's a wonderful yoke, because you know what? He pulls us along. That Bible says that yoke, that's a breeze, man. That's Dan's translation. It's a breeze, yoking up with Jesus. He just carries you along. He's the ox that does all the pulling. I'm the worthless ox. And unfortunately, we're all about as dumb as oxen sometimes, aren't we? But he just pulls us along. And we're free. I love verse 25 because it says, Whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth there, be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer. This man shall be blessed in his deed. Now notice we learned about life already. And here we have life, liberty, and happiness in this text. That's a slogan we hear about in America a lot, right? Look at chapter 5 of James. Just two pages over, verse 11. The word here in verse 25 translated blessed is translated, blessedness is translated happiness in 5.11. It says here, talks about <clears throat> If I can find it, James 5.11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. That's it. same Greek word. Blessed and happy. Uh, It's interesting, our word eulogo, our word eulogy, means to bless somebody. We go to a funeral and we eulogize someone. We bless their name. Look at our text. Back to our text. We talked about life, eternal life. We're begotten by the word. So we have life. Then we have liberty in verse 25. And then we have happiness or blessedness in verse 25. If you really want life, liberty, and happiness, then you'll be a doer of the word. That's the bottom line. You know the word of God even exposes our intentions. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that, right? The word is quick. That means living. You were dead in your sins. You were quickened and made alive. So it's quick. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And it goes on to say it knows the thoughts. And the intentions of your heart, when you're having devotions, and you have a plan in your mind to do something wrong that day, guess what the Word of God does? It exposes that thought. All of you shouldn't think, that wouldn't be right. That's not a good idea. Oh, God, why did I even have devotions this morning? My flesh can't be satisfied. As we have on our mind what we want to do, and sometimes our plans are wrong, and God exposes our heart and our intentions And he says, stop, don't do what you're planning on doing. Oh, I'm gonna go to work and I'm gonna give him a piece of my mind. I'm sick and tired of it. She gets time off and I don't, and I'm tired of it. And you plan it and then you read the Bible and God just sort of lets the air out of your big arrogant balloon, you know? And you think, oh man, I am so wrong. Obedience to the word, be doers folks. You know one of the saddest stories you'll ever hear, and I'll close with this. Khrushchev memorized all four Gospels. The Russian leader never obeyed any of it. You can know Scripture, you can memorize it and go to hell. You think of that. He memorized the four Gospels in the Russian language, but he didn't obey any of it. He never repented. That's the first thing you need to do. He was a murderer. He defied God until the day he died, but all four Gospels he had right here. But he didn't have it here. He never repented. He wasn't a doer of the word. A lot of people, everybody believes in Jesus. It's easier said than done. Because if you're really a follower of Jesus, you're really a disciple of Jesus, you are a doer of the word. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, we want to be doers. We need to be doers. Convict us, Lord, about being obedient to the positive commands in Scripture. To be a good neighbor. To be a true friend. To be a faithful Christian. To be a providing husband and a loving wife. To be an obedient child to our parents and our school teachers. Help us to be doers and not hearers only. And God, if there's anyone here who's not saved, I pray today they'll trust Jesus as their Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.